Brick Moon Fiction presents The V's by Sam French Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle From the outside, it always seemed like it would be V13. He had pale blue eyes like all of them, but his smile was just a bit wryer. I'd have to go back and check his diagnostic charts when it was all over. We weren't allowed to before then, to know for sure. But that wry smile seemed like he'd been cultured or developed with a heightened cynicism, and watching him, you'd often wonder if it had been pushed too far. V-13 laughed frequently, a good sign on the surface. But on the other side of the glass, we all wondered at what he was laughing with or at or about. It wasn't ultimately V-13, however. It was V-3. Pale blue eyes, no cynicism whatsoever, a more normal and well-adjusted laugh. But it was V-3. It started when we let V5 and V6 copulate, or attempt to copulate, or at least attempt to do something to each other's bodies. It was strange, like watching someone in the mirror discovering their own body. There was no privacy, of course. Well, there was no complete privacy. And I caught at least three Vs actively staring. How did they feel in that moment? Did they feel arousal? Shame? Both? Behind the mirror, I felt something stirring, though I don't think it was of a sexual manner. We'd argued before about the concept of shame with the Vs, and if feeling it was sort of a communal ritual or one of the few individual things they could experience. We'd seen earlier experiments end in sort of mass shunning or attempted exoduses, cleansings. But it's unclear if those moments were motivated by shame or something similar but not identical. Anyway, V5 and V6 were allowed to copulate, and you could see an instant reaction rippling through the whole group. I spoke with V3 that morning. I was on interview duty for the lower third of Vs, so it wasn't like I was being prophetic or anything. I was just doing my job. And he made eye contact with me, pale blue eyes staring into my dark brown ones, while telling me about a dream he had had the night before about a waterfall. He talked about how, in the dream, he would walk back and forth through the waterfall, going back and forth from the outside world and the world contained behind its curtain. He said he liked both sides and that the smells were curious on both. He said none of the other Vs had been there, but he had the sense they might arrive at any minute. I did note a strange hint of anger at the idea that his solitude would end, but I didn't note it as anything specific. He had his left hand on the wrist of his right arm, his fingers gently tapping the wristband that identified him as, specifically, the third version. Two days later, I watched him rip the throat out of V5. Violence always happens occasionally, of course, just as it would anywhere, but the speed and intention of his act was surprising. He'd fashioned some sort of shiv out of a scrap of metal he must have found in the junkyard, and he ripped the throat with it quickly and efficiently, before digging his fingers into the gaping hole in V5's neck. The digging motion was particularly haunting as his fingers tore through everything held within the neck. I thought about the spray of water in his dream momentarily before separating him from the rest and taking him to solitary. When I came back, I joined the other observers as they watched through the glass. V6 put the scraps of flesh back into V5's neck and then carry him off to be buried. While V3 sat in solitary, we called an emergency meeting with the board of directors to tell them it had happened, finally, and that it wasn't V-13 at all. It was V-3. There was some cheering and some popping of champagne, but then we settled down to talk about the hard questions. Do we continue on? Are the results conclusive? 
Those were the easier ones. But then someone even asked about press relations, ethics consultations, investor relations, etc. I had given my PowerPoint a few weeks earlier about the dynamics of self-violence on a body larger than one individual and had tried to answer all of these questions, but the board was unsure. Their biggest concern seemed to be if the public would think of it as murder. They couldn't get that there was something between suicide or murder, that there was a third choice, which made me wonder why they were investing in this experiment to begin with. We had one less V, but the Vs together still made an entity as complete as any human being. Sure, it wasn't the exact same as me or you losing one of our fingers, but it wasn't that different either. At the end, we got them to agree to allow us to continue the experiment and to reintroduce V3 to the group. But it wasn't easy. They welcomed V3 back with welcome arms. Forgiveness was a virtue that we had nurtured in them all since they were young, since they were born, and it was even written into most of their DNA. V13 laughed while hugging him. V6 was cautious but warm. V1, who I haven't said much about, had made some sort of sculpture out of stuff from the junkyard, and it was very abstract to us, but it seemed to mean something to V3. V3 didn't say much that entire day, but I thought I saw remorse in his eyes. I talked to some of the other observers about if we had programmed remorse in, and then, of course, we got in an argument over the difference between remorse and regret, and it always came back to shame. Late that night, V6 masturbated in a corner while the others looked away. Three weeks went by like that. V3 reintegrating into the group, V6 touching himself nightly. Everything else normal. We had been ready for action when we brought V3 back, but now it seemed like the killing of V5 had maybe been a momentary glitch. So it was encouraging when V3 and I met and he brought up the waterfall again. He said this time it wasn't water. It was something thicker that he didn't have words for. I went through some of the obvious body fluids that may have been on his mind, the blood of V5, the semen of V6, but he shook his head and said that those would have been too on the nose and that he didn't dwell on those things anyway. I'm not sure I believed him, but I wanted him to keep talking about the waterfall. He said he'd seen it at night now and that it was even more beautiful than before. I asked him, perhaps a bit inappropriately or a bit leading, if the others had arrived yet. He said no, and that he wasn't sure if they'd be coming after all. I asked him, now definitely leading, now definitely inappropriate, if that made him happy, and he just didn't say anything. He was still fidgeting with his identification wristband, and after the meeting, I called the other observers in and told them that the meeting had had many similarities to our previous one, and that they should be ready for something to happen. At 3 a.m. that night, there was a power shortage, and when the backup generator kicked on 40 seconds later, six Vs were lying on the ground, dead. We weren't prepared for that. We weren't really prepared for any of it. The blackout took us by surprise, and there was no way we would have thought 40 seconds were enough to kill six Vs. What was really disturbing, though, was that we couldn't say for sure it was V3. Which meant we couldn't, without compromising everything, remove him and place him in solitary. Even though it was late at night, we texted the members of the board. We sent in some janitors to wipe up the blood. They had no idea what it was we were experimenting with, and they were terrified. I wanted to tell them they were safe, but for some reason I couldn't actually convince myself that that was entirely true. Six of the Vs, dead. Seven, total. That was weeks ahead of schedule. We thought it would happen, when it happened, one by one by one. But suddenly over half the subjects were gone, forever. It felt sad, in a very human way. 
It didn't feel like science. I had to keep reminding myself that science was exactly what it was. Exactly. The first two texts we received, Do you know for sure it was V3? And You should talk to V13. He always seemed like a budding sociopath. See what he thinks of all this. The answer to the first one was, of course, that we were confident, but that we couldn't absolutely know for sure. And the second text was, admittedly, a good idea, even if it did feel like something they would do in the movies. The observers all agreed that I should be the one to conduct the interview, as I had seemingly been chosen by V3 as a conduit of information of sorts. V13 sat across from me, blinking a bit, maybe even more than normal, but otherwise at ease. I asked him if he felt in danger. He said that they all felt a little on edge, but that it was hard to not give each other the complete gift of trust, despite the circumstances. He used that word, gift, in speaking about trust. I thought that was interesting. I asked him how he felt about B3, and he sighed, and then laughed. He said he didn't feel much about V3 recently because it was all too difficult to change how you felt for someone you had known your entire life, even when they began to act differently. I asked him how V3 was acting differently, and he laughed some more. Finally, I asked him what happened when the lights went off, and he said a few things that disturbed me. He said that chaos happened. He said that the logical happened. He said it felt like a waterfall. He used that word, of blood. He said that nothing happened. He said that the world felt like it was closing. And then, as if we were the test subjects and he the scientist, he asked a disturbing question. How would you feel if I were to tell you we have been switching our wristbands for the past three months? I didn't want to tell the board about that, so I didn't mention it to the observers. Besides, it was impractical. And even more than impractical, it was something that V13 would say to cause chaos. And we knew these subjects by more than just their wristbands anyway by this point. We knew them more instinctually. V13's laugh gave him away, sure, but there was something deeper with him that let us see him for who he was. We weren't able to access the diagnostic charts until after the experiment was over, but like I mentioned before, I felt confident I knew who he was. It didn't matter that they all looked alike. I could tell them apart. We all could. Really, it wasn't disturbing at all as a concept because we knew it hadn't really happened. What was more disturbing was that he, presumably knowing this, still wanted to try to mess with us. And he wasn't even the one responsible for the mass execution the night before. He was messed up, obviously, but he wasn't the one killing near-identical versions of himself. The board agreed to continue based on the evidence that V-13 wasn't panicking, even though he knew he would likely die soon. Even though we knew he would likely die soon. The point, in fact, was that he knew all that and was not panicking. There were six Vs remaining, and soon there would be one, which was the point of the experiment originally, so now we had to see it through. The other Vs seemed to be at peace, and we even wondered if they would aid V3 by just killing themselves. They sang songs every night, still. They played in the junkyard. They read books and even wrote in their journals. But it felt like they knew there was an hourglass hanging above each of their heads, and that the sand would soon be done falling. V3 didn't dream anymore. He didn't talk much, either. I had a few interviews with him where he just sat there, seeming kind of nervous, as if he wasn't sure if we had the power to stop him or not. I don't know if he wanted to be stopped. It's certainly possible. We had spent hours, the observers, I mean, discussing if this was something he wanted to do, felt like he had to do, or even was really aware of doing at all. 
In these moments, he seemed like such a blank slate that we wondered what we had programmed for, what his diagnostic charts would show. I think I remembered something about patience, but that seemed hardly relevant. How did we make this monster what he was? The other Vs did die, over a period of time, one by one. It seemed painless and fateful. It seemed like the passing of seasons. In my logs, I'm not allowed to use personal language or poetic language, so this is my only moment and opportunity to say that clearing their bodies felt oddly like driving stakes in the ground to build a tent, that it felt oddly like sewing a patch into a worn sweater's sleeve, that it felt like hearing a symphony you composed all wrong, played for the first time by master musicians, and that it also felt like some sort of disease, or tumor, or malignant blot on my right eye. V3 seemed to have mastered making it painless, and every so often a corpse would just sort of appear. We would clean it out, we would separate him for a few days, and we would resume. Word had begun leaking to the press, but it felt so in control, so systematic by this point, that it all did, ultimately, seem clinical. Whether it was by chance or by design, the last two remaining were V13 and V3. When I got the hunch that this was how it was going to end, I looked back at footage to see if there was some noticeable connection between the two that existed in actual physical space and not just in my mind. In fact, they rarely ever spent time together. If there was anything to note about their relationship, it was that it hardly existed. Certainly some of the Vs were closer than others, but in general they did all relate to each other to some degree. But I couldn't find much between V13 and V3 except, occasionally, V13 laughing quietly at something V3 had said to someone else entirely. They were like missed radio waves. Together they existed in my mind as a duo, but only because one was fulfilling a promise the other had seemed to make. Still, they were the final two remaining, and when V3 started staring at the observation glass, presumably seeking me out knowing I was behind it, and talking about the waterfall, I knew there wasn't much time left. V13 actually just came in and sat on the ground, closing his eyes and never stopping laughing. V3 sat next to him. They stared at each other for a few moments, and then V3 began bashing his face into V13's. He just sort of leaned back casually, and then leaned forward casually but with force. They struck each other like stars or meteors or even something gradual like the plates of the earth. The motion of it was jarring, and it got messy very quickly, even though we did try to interfere. It was all unexpected. We expected to end with one, but their skulls were shattered into unrecognizable blobs by the time we were actually able to stop it. We expected to end with one, but we were left with too much to clean up and had to call in extra hands. We expected the experiment to end with one, but we just had DNA splattered everywhere. My shoes had to be changed immediately because, after being in the room, they squished with every step I took. The board was notified and we were reprimanded, but that didn't really matter. We looked into V3's diagnostic charts the next day and were surprised to see we had given him a heightened sense of empathy and dignity. All of his other levels were normal. Unremarkable. I wondered if his dreams had anything to do with it, as we never planned for those, but that felt like reaching... We had conducted an experiment and the results varied, even if only slightly, from our hypothesis, and it was up to others to figure out why. Sam French is a writer and director located in Brooklyn, 
Originally from Florida, he is a recent graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. His plays have been produced in Pittsburgh, Florida, Martha's Vineyard, and New York. His short story, A Love Letter to the Boys of Summer, won the Adamson Award for Fiction at CMU. Sam was named a Top 20 Artist Under 25 in the Tampa area by Creative Loafing Magazine and has two one-acts published by Baker's Plays. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.